rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, currently serving as chaplain to Cedar Break Retreat Center, formerly of the Restorative Justice Ministry. And with me is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, who remains in Restorative Justice Ministry as our pastoral care coordinator in the Gatesville region, where we have a number of prison units. And we're continuing on in our series of Eucharist in the prisons in honor of the Eucharistic revival that we have uh, begun now in the Diocese of Austin and indeed throughout all the dioceses of the United States of America. And we've looked at Eucharist among our general population souls, the Eucharist and the souls that are housed in restricted housing, of those with whom we share the name of Jesus Christ, but not the fullness of communion as yet, and our recent, most recent uh, offering of Eucharist and our corrections officers. And today, um, we want to address the presence of Eucharist that is brought into the prisons alongside the presence of evil that comes into the prison units as well. And what we're addressing here is the reality of lives and and many of them who are incarcerated for crimes in which evil was absolutely a feature of how they said yes to committing the crime, uh, the ways in which they have allowed themselves to be manipulated and shaped by evil. And now they're spending day in and day out with our brothers and sisters who carry the name of Catholic Christian and those who our our brothers and sisters in Christ and other communions. And yet they, as they strive to be one with the Lord, they are in the presence of people who still allow themselves to have a sense of evil in their lives, or if they no longer wish to have it, haven't been able yet to rid themselves of the presence of evil. And how with the presence of the Holy Eucharist and all the different ways in which we're able and, and given permission to bring the Eucharist in, there is hope for all that this is the light in the darkness. And we want to share our experience of, of our Eucharistic presence being that light in the darkness that, that still very definitely uh, has its presence in the lives of those who are incarcerated and those who are their custodians. One of the examples I wanted to bring up and, and maybe get you, Deacon Ronnie, to share a little bit of the history on how this came about is the presence of a blessed sacrament reposition in our men's unit. I think most of us, as did I as a, as a Catholic priest, found that rather astounding that there's actually a tabernacle in a prison unit, that it's there, been there for a while, and it looks like it's going to get to stay. Yes, it's been there. I'm not sure exactly the, the date of origin, but I do know that there was a uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice uh, unit chaplain that was Catholic. Uh, he was employed by the TDCJ, but he was a Catholic, and uh, he uh, arranged that uh, through uh, Huntsville to have the uh, Lord reposed in that um, room. And uh, in fact, it's been designated that at one time there was an adoration room um, in one of the chaplain's offices when, uh, and then it's since been moved into the chapel space itself. But, um, it does change the dynamics of the, of, of the unit. I mean, especially, uh, a unit that size, it's 3000 men. So it's profound. The fact that the Lord is there 24 hours a day, uh, the men know that there's a great sense of comfort for them, 
our Catholic community, or even of uh, those that aren't of our tradition, they they realize that that that's sacred space, and it's very honored, and, and it can it, it's a pose there. The image I have of that um, <clears throat> is um, nothing less than the Last Supper, our Lord Himself at the Eucharistic. Um, this uh, institution of the Holy Holy Priesthood and celebration of the Eucharist that that evil was present that night too, in that room, at, um, and it's a reminder for all of us that uh, it doesn't have the last say, that we are all, uh, and, and God guides us and and is with us there and with that evil. So it's 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 a really comforting thing to know. Um, we're able to allow uh, guys to uh, make private um, visits to the room um, and know that, um, and, and it's been, um, the, the altar of repose is just very simple, but um, it speaks volumes uh, for, for, for the fact that he is there and everything's going to be okay. For me as a priest, one of the ways that that, that uh, location of that tabernacle, just the reality of that tabernacle being there, is in that moment of Mass when we've concluded and purification is underway, it's time to repose the um, the Blessed Sacrament that's uh, the left, left over. The watching people in the Mass have the exact same sensibility as congregants relative to the, either you as the deacon reposing or me as the priest reposing, that our people in our parishes do. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is precisely the same. The orientations of their bodies, their sense of awareness of this is a moment to be particularly attentive because the, the Lord is being reposed. Um, and then knowing, as you just said, comforted by the fact that he is there and that he has been reposed, but he was reposed in the manner of the church's act of worship that some of them have a recollection pre-incarceration. And it's, again, it's one of those, I am still one with the body of Christ outside of this place because I'm sharing in a sacred moment and act that I know my mother, my father, my sisters, my children, my wife, my my husband are sharing in in their home parishes as well. And I think it has a profound impact, and it often made me long to be able to replicate that in all the other units as well. But it's just – it's not possible. This logistics and space and and all that, I understand that. But you're so joyful for what it brings that you wish all all the units could share it. The Lord is reposed behind, obviously, a, a highly secured door. And um, it's a beautiful thing to see their face and as he comes out of that um, room of repose and they follow him. They follow him across the, the, uh, the walk to the altar. And likewise, when he's being reposed, they follow him back in. And it's just a really sense of, of awe and, and respect that that's my Lord and my God. I, I, I couldn't make this journey through this unit, this this sentence, whatever the state's asking me to do without him. And <clears throat> to know that they know he's there. He's, he's always on the unit, regardless if, you know, they're maybe on the other side of the unit and, and dorm, or they may be in restrictive housing. They, they, they have a sense of awareness that God is here and, and it, it'll be okay. Transcends all of the confinement and opens up that freedom that you mentioned in one of our previous episodes, that these are some of the freest people that you've seen because 
they are so attuned to the Eucharist and, and so stripped away of all the worldly attachments because of the environment in which they're in. And in regards, penitentially, as, as is appropriate to assist the person in having genuine contrition and seeking reconciliation for the, for the sins that were part of the crimes that they committed, but then coming out on that other side of absolution to now enter into joyfully the presence of the, the Eucharistic Lord. Um, one of the things that um, we we uh, uh, I heard asked for uh, when we first kicked off the Eucharistic revival that particular weekend of the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ was the desire from our diocese to have photo images or video images of any parishes that did a Eucharistic pr- procession, and uh, that got my attention. You know, it told me that my leadership had a particular attentiveness to to that act and, and indeed led by example with our, our bishop in downtown Austin with the Eucharistic procession that, that was uh, held there. And the, the joy that our men there at, that, at the Hughes unit had when we did Eucharistic processions and we would have uh, rehearsals before that and just the diligence and dedication and attention to detail that you as the, the one providing that structure for them, but them in response to your leadership there. And I'm there, there's the priest to get to carry the Lord. Y'all did all the heavy lifting. And, um, and then to watch how that unfolded year after year as that Eucharistic procession was done, including with incense, uh, oftentimes setting off the fire alarm. Um, most of us in uh, parish land uh, don't have that, although I did have that in one parish I served in one Easter as the fire alarm went fire off. Fire alarm drill. Yeah. Uh, but um, in their case, it, it went off because, you know, incense is just not something that they get to have on an everyday basis. There's smoke there, but it's not always incense. Correct. And— um, as a result of that, we find ourselves in that moment being able to see our people track the Eucharist in their presence, moving about. Now, this is different. You know, they move towards him in the in the reception of Holy Communion, but this is Jesus making his way through them. And I think it's so symbolic of how when they walk out of Mass on all the other regular times where a Eucharistic procession wasn't present— that they are that presence walking him back out through the entire unit. But on this occasion, that with the, the Lord held high, with their faith in essence held high, with their, their oneness with one another, with all the scrapes that they get into with each other and all the you drive me crazy, well, you drive me crazies, and, and all of those things of community life where there's no place to hide but except in, in the, the, the divinity that we all bear. And that divinity is there, and it's particular too. Jesus being held up and, and Jesus being walked through their midst, uh, Jesus being present to them, coming into them. It just always struck me as such a profound moment for our, our, our guys that, again, I wish we were able to have in, in, in the other units as well. And to add to that, um, they also know that as you walk through the units, the Lord is with you. Uh, we all carry a communion bag. And it's, it's well known that you don't walk anywhere on the unit without him. And he walks through the unit. He walks with us wherever we go. If we're going to the infirmary, we're going to isolation pods, we go into restrictive housing, we go into the dormitory space, we go up into the warden's office. The Lord walks with us, physically with us, the, the presence of the, the Blessed Sacrament. And um, it changes everything about um, our day. I, there's no way I could do this uh, without him. And a drama strength from him, but more to it, um, that visible s- sense 
that they're, 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 the Lord walks amongst us and, and, and is there to heal us. And Jesus is a healer, and he's here to, to help um, heal whatever's broken in our lives and restore us to a right relationship with him and each other. And, Which is precisely the opposite message that the presence of evil there wants to message our flock and say that God has abandoned you, he does not walk with you, you have committed the unforgivable sin, so you might as well walk with me because I'm the only one that's going to accept you. And what this does as we present the Eucharist in the manner of the church, whether it's the sacred mysteries of the Mass or uh, within the sacred mysteries, these uh, other expressions such as a Eucharistic procession, but I also think of um, the Easter vigils that we got to celebrate together there where we literally uniquely got to have a lit candle with us, and the men were very diligent to make sure that it was a dark space, and that that darkness didn't scare them. Uh, they knew that what it was there for was to highlight the presence of the light of Christ, and we did the the, the right in the manner of, of the church. Christ, our light. Thanks be to God. And and then they they had the the lights slowly come on because they can't all light candles there. That's just we couldn't go that far. Um, but at the same time, they knew what this was building towards, towards people celebrating sacraments of initiation, where they were going to now share in this fellowship of communion uh, of the Eucharistic Lord in their lives, which gives them, as you said just a moment ago, the strength to be able to say, Christ is with me, and even though I'm experiencing the presence of evil, temptations from evil, my own falling into sin and, and having evil clap as I do so, it's not the, the, the end of my story, uh, that there's always getting up, there's always being forgiven, there's always being fed once again by, by the Lord of the Eucharist. Yes, and the many words that we have for the demonic, the evil one, uh, diable, the scatterer, father of lies, father of lies. He he wants to scatter us. He wants us to, to he wants to divide us and to separate us. And um, the fact is that um, and that that evil presence is always at work. I mean, it's it's it doesn't take a day off. You know, he's always working. Um, and the more we can um, draw uh, attention to the fact that. Um, that that light that you just mentioned displaces that instantly when it walks into the room. Uh, he's already been defeated. Um, he has no power uh, over that. And a great comfort that in the midst of this 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 very dark darkness is 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 a victor is is the is the conquering Lord. And, and the the sense that a lot of our incarcerated and I think the corrections officers too by degrees have of the reality of that presence of evil among them in the persons of some of their fellow inmates um, that they don't put into a sense of uh, unclean, unclean, but they have a longing in their hearts to see them be liberated in the way that they themselves have experienced their own degrees of liberation as well, that there's a longing to see those who create uh, unhappiness and division in their dormitories and their cell blocks to experience the relief that comes from welcoming the light of Christ and the uh, ability for us as a Eucharistic assembly 
to give strength and purpose and a power uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus to bring that back into those presences of souls who are still unsettled, who are still giving themselves over to the dark side that are there in their dormitories, that are there in their cell blocks. And they want to have that comfort that you just spoke of that the Eucharistic Lord does provide and that they're bearing that Eucharistic Lord themselves, as, as I as I mentioned earlier. One of the markers that I would want to share with our listening audience that's not familiar with, with the, the, uh, the realm of the prison is the holy cards that we often brought in. And among the, the you know, top five um, is St. Michael the Archangel, because mm-hmm. there is such an acute awareness. And probably because as I'm incarcerated, if I'm in that phase of incarceration where I'm having to deal with the, the evil I participated in, I want that prayer. I want that Eucharistic presence to remind me that that's not where life ends for me. Even though I may have perpetrated evil, I don't have to stay with that. I do get to break free. I do get to be forgiven. I do get to be healed. And I do get to become apostolic and going forward and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a reality uh, to know that, um, well, evil is real. Um, and it's it's sadly alive and well in, the, in, in those spaces. But... Um, and we have to continually remind ourselves that you know, the opposite of, of love is, is not hate, it's fear. And, and the devil wants us to live in fear. And um, we constantly, through the Eucharistic presence, we're all reminded that we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in love. And we can live with the Lord who has called us by name. Um, that's, that's a real comfort to know that... Um, I'm not identified by what I've done. I'm identified by my name. And the Lord knows your name. And he calls you by name to, to join him and be with him through this journey, through this space and time. But the evil one is real. Um, he was um, brought to our attention and through some courses that we've, classes that we attended on deliverance ministry that he's like a dog on a chain. You get close enough to him, he's going to bite he's you. He's going to bite you. And he will. Uh, but he's already been defeated, and so many times in in our practice of minor exorcisms or praying and blessing people and blessing the rooms or their cells or their space, we're, we invoke, ask him to simply just invoke his holy name, just say say the precious name of Jesus. Jesus, I know you're here. Jesus, help me move on, and he will. He will move on. But um, the evil one, he doesn't know our hearts but he, he gets to know us by watching us and he's a, he's the master at that. So he's going to, he's going to cue on what, what you're doing, perhaps what you're not doing. And then he's going to present what he thinks is going to bring you down. And, and he's, he's a master at that. The possibilities of exploitation. And I think that's why in a lot of cases, a lot of our, our, our flock uh, incarcerated and, and probably by degree, some of the officers as well, um, they they come in and, you know, this is a, um, a place that of landing. This is not a, an example for the officers, but for the incarcerated souls. This is a place of landing. I, I was in a stretch of life that then included a crime for which I got convicted. And now I've landed at a place called prison. And I have that whole past there behind me. I've got a present around me and I've got a future ahead of me. What am I going to do with all that? 
And part of what we all inevitably do is take stock. Uh, what got me here? What did I do to participate in the eventuality of my being in prison? Uh, what was unfair in my life that, you know, it really wasn't anything of my own doing, but it, it put me in the wrong place at the wrong time, or it, it uh, allowed me to let my guard down and I associated with people with whom I wish I had not associated. Um, but now, am I going to be able to say that I've been put in this very hard place to live as I do my penitential time of, of service to the state? Is there any hope for me? Um, or is this landing it? Is this my destination, this thing called prison and the reality of people around me? Um, it, and the answer is no. Um, your purpose, your destiny is, is to, to know and love God, as, as you said earlier. And in the presence of the Eucharist, and this is why it's so important that we, we try as best we can to bring Eucharist into these units, they get to hear that the church from the outside is interested in seeing them walk away from that place that, that they were in life that landed them there in prison and be restored to a sense of oneness with the body of Christ, even while incarcerated, maybe most especially while incarcerated, waiting for that day that when they're, they're set free from physical confinement, they get to share the spiritual freedom that they won while they were, they were confined there. And then to allow themselves in the renewal of their Eucharistic practices once they go back home or go to wherever their new home is going to be, if they're having to start a new life in another town from where they committed their crime, that, that gets to include that Eucharistic practice all over again, that it's a handoff and that that constant presence of Jesus is still there, that they now get to experience in a real-world environment instead of in the, the prison environment. And just an underscoring of that by our constant presence, we get to assist in the strengthening of faith and the pushback against the evil one that uses all of his powers, and that he has to observe them receiving the Eucharistic Lord, receiving the covenant of that which put him under Jesus' feet— and uh, allows them to be able to say with confidence, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I no longer have to see myself as one associated with darkness or destined to remain in it. Right, right. That's true. That's true. And he's he is um, he's not happy about that. I see he is an evil one, uh, but um, he knows that um, there's there's the Lord um, is Lord of 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 heaven and earth, and um, and in his kingdom, there will be no end. And so we, that's, that's what we, we go. And we go with, um, um, with great love. It allows us to go into that moment of, of great darkness, but, but to be present there and to know and confront and, and can, um, comfort those that, that, um, certainly hold him, um, hold him and, and, and trust in him and, and know that, but this will not have the last say. We've been focusing in all of our segments on the, the Eucharist in prison, largely on Deacon Ronnie's reflections and, and myself, Father Harry's uh, reflections uh, about the incarcerated, about the corrections officers, about the volunteers, about our very selves in relationship to Eucharist. I wanted to go on and shift gears into our final session, even even uh, and it'll continue on in, in our in our last uh, of of because there's so much involved here. But uh, we all recall that we are now in the time of synod, 
that this is a aspect of the universal church. Of course, our, our diocese involved. And um, in honor of our bishop's directives at the time that the synod listening sessions were up and running in parish land, we wanted to bring that into the prisons as well. And so let's just get started, and we'll complete this in our final segment, but let's just get started uh, first to, to tell our listeners that the way that we did this was to take different aspects of the synod emphasis, and in masses with the inmates, at the time of the homiletic presentation, we were given permission to present these prompting questions. And then literally I stood there and took handwritten notes of the responses of the inmates to these various aspects of the emphasis of the the synod. And one of those aspects was communion. Um, What does it mean to you? Um, How does it work in your life here in prison? All of that kind of thing. And um, we have these – their responses that I I wrote down in front of us. And I just wanted to kind of begin us to go down – uh, and reflect on on what it was that the the inmates themselves said about communion, and again, let me let me reemphasize this was in the context of a Eucharistic celebration. This came with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, inspiring these souls, and it wasn't a cold invitation. I didn't just come in that day and say, "Okay, ladies or gentlemen, we're not going to have a homily today. We're going to do work on the synod." No, we did prep work. We prayed about it. We put it together, and then. We said, okay, now's the time. And first we're going to address this, and then we're going to address that, and, uh, and this this week we're going to address communion. And I wanted to begin to share some of those things from the, the listening sessions with our, our listenership because these are the hearts of our, of our faithful. These are the hearts of our inmates as they go through the time of, of, of serving their penitential uh, a time of, of uh, duty to the uh, community for the fact of their crimes. One of the very first ones uh, that came up over and over again, communion means to be with others, uh, a community in the church and with my neighbor. Again, let me remind our listeners that in the prison environment, it's like living in a very small town. And for those of us who grew up in very small towns, we know the dynamics of you really can't hide. Everybody knows everybody else's business by degrees and tends to talk about it as well. So for one of the reflections of our flock in these synod listening sessions about community to say it means to be with others, that it's community in the church and with my neighbor, really struck me as such a beautifully positive reflection on what could have been the other side. I'm so tired of these people and I have nowhere to get away from them, you know, that kind of thing, as opposed to no— There's a community involvement here that my entering into communion in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church opens up to the community of my incarcerated life, but the world outside as well. So for us who are not incarcerated to hear the voice of those who are saying we are aware that the Eucharist brings us into communion with the given community here in prison, but also with you on the outside, I would hope that would allow us all to sustain a sense of their presence in our lives as well, not just as people who are having to serve time for crimes committed, but as brothers and sisters on the journey of sin and grace. Yeah, I think they are uh, great um, teachers, if you will, to us uh, that are not incarcerated 
to see that uh, that that's a life that's lived. It's not a compartmentalized life. That that's one that they live daily, and add even more to it hourly, uh, uh, each and every day. That sense of unity through the universal church, and with my neighbor, and uh, being a Christ to my neighbor uh, as as He's been to us. And I can say to one and to all the things that I heard over and over again of the struggles of our incarcerated uh, with souls that are difficult to be around and so difficult that society deemed them to not be available or need to be available to the society for good reason. And now you're living with people of this nature and you are sleeping around people of this nature and you're eating with them and you're working with them. And a lot of us, if we went into a restaurant and somebody was acting up, we might look at each other and say, let's go someplace else. If we were at a job where there was somebody like that, we'd say, you know what, I'm going to look for another job. None of those are options here. And so they bring the the sense and and power of their communion with, with the church into that uh, struggle, and it allows them to be able to overcome it. Well, let us ask the God who brings us, uh, first of all, as we uh, begin every single Eucharistic assembly, into that humbleness that recognizes that we are all sinners and that we stand before him in need of his help and grace as we say together, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. If you walk with me, brother, 